Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? A lot. I got uh, just a lot of stuff going on at work in a good way. Um, I kind of feel like we're firing on all cylinders right now. So I, you know, this is all good, but also I'm just kind of like, uh, you know, when a dog sees a lot of stuff that they're interested in, they don't know which one to pick. I'm kind of bouncing around between ideas right now, but, uh, product stuff, marketing and growth stuff, um, customer service team stuff. But the big thing is on Monday, we announced our uh, price increase. So I kind of talked about this last couple of weeks that less annoying CRM, it's going to stay the same price for current customers. It's going to go up to fifteen from $10 to $15 a month for people who sign up. So we sent an email out announcing it. It's going live July 22nd. And uh, yeah, it's official now. Cool. Have you had any price increase negative ever. feedback yet? No, I, was at, I don't know what I was worried about because like the reality is the only or the majority of the people who got this are current customers. And they're like, this is great for them, right? Because it means we're going to have more money to pump into product development and they don't have to pay anymore. So why would they be upset? But we got more of a positive response than I expected. Um, probably 50 people emailed in being like, you guys are amazing. This I can't believe like the integrity that you're not raising our prices. A couple people emailed in and was like, you should probably raise my price. I'm happy to pay 15. Um, just overwhelmingly positive. The only negative stuff we heard one person was like, I get why you're doing this. I'm in South Africa and like this, this is going to make it harder for like, he, he's like, I don't care because you're not raising my price, but just FYI, this is going to make it harder to get customers in South Africa. Uh, and then, yeah, that was the most negative thing we heard, I think. Oh, and one person was like, it doesn't seem like weird timing to do this during a recession. And I responded back and he was like, oh, that makes sense. Thanks for walking me through that. He, he said that, that, it seems like a weird time to do this during a recession. Yeah, which he's right. But he was just like, what's the logic? This seems like a bad, t- bad time to do it. And I explained, well, here's the history behind what led up to this. And then he was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. And now I'm just I'm like, I kind of want to just jump a month ahead in time and see what actually happens when the change goes into effect. I'm excited for you. I think it's going to be a big uh windfall. Thanks. Yeah. I, I, I am getting more and more excited about it. And also just like growth has been pretty good recently for us for like, I feel like it shouldn't be, but we're about to have a pretty good month. And I think we're going to have a really good month next month because our free trial pipeline is really good. So we may end up having, uh, we're on pace to have a much better summer this year than we did last year. Actually. Do you have anything that you can attribute to that? Not really. Um, it may be that like, you know, we had a really bad March and April because of the pandemic. It's possible that just like people who would have signed up then just waited and we're getting people piling up. I think it'll, we had a couple of actual marketing things like um, Alex, our, our biz dev guy attended a virtual conference, uh, which I've been kind of skeptical of, you know, these conferences moving online, but apparently it went really long, uh, really well. We got like a hundred free trial signups from that. Um, so there's like little things here and there, but overall just business is good. I, I don't really know how to explain it. 
I like the concept of virtual events because people are at their computer and normally they'd be, you know, just walking around the conference, talking to people who are not really paying attention. And they're probably more likely to pay attention, number one. And number two, they're more likely to take action in real time yeah. on the offer. So there's potential that that could even be more efficient for you. I think you're absolutely right about that. And so apparently, I don't know if it was during the keynote or whatever. At some point, the the sponsor, the, the conference organizer, who's a user of ours, was like, it's like a business coach thing. And they're like, here's the deal. Everybody right now go to the website and sign up. So we got 40 signups in like two minutes. And I actually get emailed when stuff like that happens, because normally if that happens, it's like spammers or whatever trying to attack us. And so I almost went in. I didn't know any of this was happening. I didn't know the conference was happening. So I almost went in and turned off our signups. And then I was like, I was looking at all their names and email addresses. And I was like, these these don't look like spammers. This looks like real people. <laughs> Are you, um, we had talked previously about focusing on the business coach segment as a initial sort of Norman, Normandy because of how influential they are, um, mm-hmm. both as a user, but, and as a referral partner, have you, is that, is this conference reflective of that focus or is it sort of just by chance? Um, I I'd say half and half, it sort of fell into our lap, but maybe it wouldn't have if we hadn't like Alex is going out and doing a lot of affiliate engagement, trying to say, we're not just sitting back and letting affiliates do their thing. We're going to say, can we find new affiliates? Can we take our current affiliates and activate them more? Um, we knew business coaches would be part of this. But having said that, this just happens to be someone who's been using us for a while that I think the wheels have been in motion for a while. Like they were having a conference. They invited us. I think we like, it's not actually an affiliate relationship. I think we paid to sponsor the conference or whatever, but in any event, the investment on our part was pretty low relative to the number of signups. So I think that it probably kind of happened serendipitously, but there's some quote about this that like the harder you try, the harder I try, the luckier I get or something like that. I think it's that type of thing. Cool. Well, if, you know, if you're, if anyone's interested in my opinion on this, I think you should go focus more on the business coaching front that combined with with the pricing increase, with what's already working, I feel like it could just like it really accelerate your growth right now. Yeah, I, I agree. And when I say it's, we are investing in, in the business coach thing. I just say like, also the best opportunities we ever have are the ones that kind of come in inbound, um, which I think this one did. But we are doing other things to try and reach out to them and stuff. What, what would you do? What would you like? We've got business coach customers. We already are emailing them and being like, hey, affiliate stuff. I I just don't know what to do to really like accelerate that. Well, I'd pick a state or a geographical region, whether that's state, zip code, county, whatever. And I would find out who all the business coaches are and where they hang out in that geographical area. And that would be everywhere that they turned for a good solid nine months. Yeah. Yeah. Without, without being annoying. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I would also engage the, the, the coaches in that region um, with an incentive on referring business coaches as users and referral partners. Yeah. Turn it into an MLM. <laughs> we tried that at Zane Benefits. It doesn't really work, but it, yeah. it does. Um, you know, I think, I think that people who are in that profession, business coaching, if they can help a, someone out and, you know, get, get, you know, 
get taken care of for it, I think that they typically do so. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, that's the big, the big news for me. What's, what's going on with you? Well, I launched the referral program. It's manual for now. I basically, rather than wait for me to automate onboarding, which is going to take a lot longer than I thought, uh, given just how much other stuff I have going on that, you know, I, I just didn't want to wait. So I launched it. Um, I basically wrote a help article explaining it to everyone and you basically anyone can give 10, get 10 and give 10, uh, dollars, uh, via an Amazon gift card for tr- getting someone in Utah to, that buys their own health insurance to try it out and uh, add their policy information. And this happens regardless of whether, uh, leg of health becomes the agent on the policy. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I just got off a phone call. I launched this this week and I was talking to a guy who he's got a really interesting business. He is basically, uh, creating a sort of Google AdWords, uh, bidding system for digital billboards. So, you know how, like, uh, you're seeing more and more of those billboards along the highways and along the roads turn into like a computer screen. Um, there are a lot of those happening, but there isn't really a good bidding system for micro advertisements on those. Uh, it's all pretty much like still sold like a paper, like a paper billboard. And so, but anyway, he was really, I talked to this guy just right before this uh, podcast and uh, recording. And he was telling me that I was, I was talking to him because I really think word of mouth is going to be important for like a pelt. And I was wondering sort of when, when does it make sense to leverage these traditional mediums of brand awareness and, you know, uh, you know, billboard ads, uh, event marketing, radio ads, that sort of thing. And he was like, well, with what you're doing, you kind of have a choice to make. If you really want to make the referral work, you might want to go all the way with it and make it invite only and exclusive and basically um, all about, you know, the person being referred, getting something from their friend, which does away with the give 10, get 10 and just a give. It'd be more appropriate to give, do a give 20 uh, because you don't want to pollute it with when you can't pollute the exclusivity and the giving something to a friend when with, with a, an, incentive, an incentive to the to the referrer. So now I'm questioning whether or not I should go purely exclusive on this. That's interesting. And I mean, you could even, if you want to make it seem like really premium, you probably don't even give 20. You say the gift you're giving is that they get to use my product. And you give them 20 and you, and you give them $20 for just trying it out. Well, I mean, you could do that, I guess, but like the, the, I realize you don't have the kind of demand right now that these other products do, but something like superhuman or, Hey, uh, the email programs, you know, they're like the the people, you know, just want to get an invite. You're doing them a favor by giving them an invite, forget the money. Like to, to the point of cheapening it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. (laughs) I, I just, I, I have this feeling that I really like the exclusivity play because it's simple. It it sort of it it immediately differentiates leg up health from every other agent who will take anyone that comes along, and I think it gives a, a, it excuses asking for and referrals and introductions from people. Mm. Yeah. Now you need really strong product market fit, I think, to 
I mean, the exclusivity is sort of a marketing ploy, I guess, but it plays off of the idea that people already want what you have. Like if you were going to spend the next six months focusing on going out and getting more customers, I don't know. What do you do? If you make it exclusive, what do you do? Just raise brand awareness and want people to start being like, well, I have to go find someone to invite me or something. I, I think, uh, well, I don't think that that the, what you just mentioned is a problem because it's not like people are coming to the site naturally. The only re- reason someone would come to like a pelt right now is they, someone told them about the website, which is either me yeah. or, or one of our existing clients or someone I've talked to. I guess my point is if you're going to go do like something like sales, it's weird for you to go out prospecting and then also have an exclusivity angle. You know, like normally the companies I've seen that do this are so overwhelmed with demand that they're like, this is because we have so many inbound leads that we can't let everyone in. Yeah. And, I, and this would be an, a, a different spin on that, doing it intentionally. And I just have this weird feeling that potentially it could be more efficient. And, and maybe I have the ability to to invite people in my network. But then mm-hmm. it just, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like you launch something and now you're like, you have a new information and you're like, ah, did I get that wrong? But it doesn't really matter because it's an early startup and you have to throw things against the wall, see what sticks. Yeah, sure. Uh, interesting. Well, if you do that, I think you still at the very least like have a waiting list. I've never seen anyone that's like, you only have invite, like uh, other people have to refer you and that's really the only way to get in. Right. You say it's a waiting list. I'll get back to you in six months, maybe <laughs> something like that. Yeah. I just think about this more. I just had the conversation. It's, um, yeah. it's interesting. Do you, um, the other thing that, uh, I guess I have an update on is I finalized the summer non-paid internship decisions. It was really hard. I received, I, I think I mentioned this almost 30 applications for the projects that I put together for basically eight to 12 week micro internships, roughly 10 hours mm-hmm. a week. Um, some people are putting in more because they're really enjoying it, but roughly 10 hours a week uh, working on a very specific project that leg up help, um, that will help leg ups help helps, uh, just, you know, growth in the next uh, six months. And I've, man, I, I, I've never had so many really qualified people for one posting before where it was like, it felt really bad saying no. Um, one person that I said no to, I basically like, I said, Hey, like you were exceptional. And there was only, this other person was only slightly more exceptional than you. Um, I would love to figure out a way to build a project for you and keep and and make this work, but that project's taken. Um, but yeah, like, so I got, I I will have five additional interns coming on. Um, yeah, one one is a first year MBA student and four college students. So I'll have six interns. Nice. What yeah. what kind of projects are they working on? Uh, one uh, has been working on the uh, go to market strategy, and that's output a lot of good work. One is going to help me build um, sort of a client marketing list in Utah, uh, people that I can reach out to and. Ideally, like the stretch for that is coming up with an algorithm that based on public data predicts whether someone uh, buys their own health insurance. Uh, Another person is going to be working on uh, building a web tool of some kind to help leg up health. Uh, That's a computer science major. And then one is working on building an educational course Mm -hmm. for like a consumer. 
Um, and then one's working on an explainer video. That's great. Those all sound like things that an intern can do, like finish in a summer, not a huge amount of oversight, but that you actually need. That's Those are hard to come up with, those types of projects, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I did. I've really enjoyed this. The As I mentioned in a previous episode, Lena, the initial intern who sort of started this whole idea by reaching out to me, she has been a great forcing function for me, clarifying things and moving on things. I'm, I may have overdone it a little bit uh, with, with five additional people, but they're really bright people, really smart people, really impressive people that um, are going to require some me to get some stuff done to remove roadblocks. And I think that'll be really positive for what gets accomplished over the next few months. Yeah, cool. You mentioned that this is like the most talented group of people applying for something. Like you've interviewed people for jobs before, but you've never seen a group like this, it sounds like, which sort of matches some experiences I've had where basically I think the younger you go, not not young as in age, but young as in experience, like the, the less experienced people are, obviously the less access they have to really good positions. And I, I have noticed, um, so we have internships, which are primarily upperclassmen in college. And then we have this coding fellowship where we teach people to code, which is more underclassmen. Uh, not, no offense to the interns, but we can get potentially people applying for the fellowship that we, like a higher, like the next summer they go and intern at Google, you know, it's like, they're just too young to get it right now. And so you kind of get access to a different caliber of person. And I assume that continues on. If you're looking at 30 year olds, the really hot shit people know, like they have so many opportunities, it's it's much, much harder to get them. So I almost wonder if this, does this change anything about how you think you might hire? Oh, good question. I, the one thing I want to add to your point is that I think the if, if it's a sophomore who is applying, a freshman and a sophomore who is applying for a summer non-paid internship, you know, is by definition, like the top, you know, uh, talent of the class because they're not going to hang out on a boat all summer, you know, at the lake, mm-hmm. like I was. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, it's almost like there's a self-selection process and a lack of supply uh, that creates a a unique situation um, to get some really incredible talent. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I can't come up with another example of this outside of like the underclassmen mm-hmm. for internships, but... It'd be interesting to explore that more. The other factor I think too, is that a lot of these people had plans already, like crazy plans, like go to Guatemala and volunteer, mm-hmm. you know, for eight, you know, 12 weeks. And that, those things got canceled. Another, you said you can't think of another version of this. Another version of this is basically finding people who are doing career changes or like forget interns and stuff. If you find someone who excelled at something, but that something wasn't a very profitable thing, like a really, really good school teacher or someone, you know, you go to a coffee shop and the barista is just like super personable and clearly really smart. But through some series of events, they ended up working at a coffee shop. My experience has been that if you hire that person, there's a good chance, there's heavy involvement on your part, mentoring them and building them up. But you can find really, really good people that maybe would never even look at your company if, you know, if they were the same person, but they came, they have an MBA, you know? 
Yeah. The, but how do you recreate the applica- inbound applications? Like to have like that, that's something that was really unique about this is like having 30 applications for five spots where pretty much I could have like thumbed my finger, you know, through mm-hmm. the applications that said any, mini money, mo and been fine. I mean, there's some exceptions to that, but like that's unique, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's because we're in this scenario where unemployment is yeah. r- at record highs and stuff like that. But I, I've hired a few people that are that that other type I'm talking about, where like ran, like the random coffee shop worker kind of. And I think it's hard to find in mass, but uh, referral networks can be really strong there. Where if you find a talented person who like is more of the bohemian, like I'm not just super career oriented, and then you kind of recruit them and build them up. They know twenty other people like them, probably. And they're probably if if that was a great experience for them, that changes trajectory of their professional, you know, life. Then that's probably a story that they wouldn't mind sharing and helping other people, you know, helping other people experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's why you know a quarter of the people who work at Lesson Wing CRM are. It's basically the local St. Louis theater scene. It's all these people who were talented enough to do whatever they wanted, but. They made this decision that to you and I probably seems very strange, which is I'm going to be poor and spend all day as an actor. And then we said, well, you can um, make a good living and still have time to do your acting if you come here. And so we hired like, you know, six or however many local theater people, but they, they, everyone in the local theater community here knows who we are. And they're like, that's the job you go to if you're ready to make money, but you don't want to give up acting. It's interesting that you call out the, that that group because they're they've excelled at something in their lives. They're clearly mm-hmm. excellent um, if they're if they're doing that. Um, that's something I think when you look at a school like Duke, most people who get into Duke and go there are have excelled at something in their lives. And what you really you know what 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 maybe sort of a a frame a rubric for this would be like find an area um, that is you know, that requires excellence that is um, sort of not compensated fairly. And, yeah. and then like say, Hey, like I want to support you continue to pursue excellence in this category, but let, let, let me make it your life better. Like come, come pursue excellence with me in this other area too, to ma- and, and make your life better. Yeah. And to expand on that, the, there's probably a thing like where do really, what, what does everything have in common where it's a really, it uh, it attracts talented people, but underappreciates them. It's got to be something where there's some sort of purpose or mission behind it. So I would guess the nonprofit space. I actually, another area we've recruited from a little bit that's been really successful is universities, not the students, the employees. Uh, most universities treat their non-faculty like crap, but because of the mission and the beautiful campus and the big brain re- uh, brand recognition, they attract really, really talented staff and they all get like $35,000 a year and have to work 60 hours a week. Um, so anywhere where people are like brand loyal or really passionate about the thing is probably an area where talented people are underappreciated. And that's probably a good place to recruit. Yeah, it's it's when you have a solid mission that people feel good about, it's easy to take advantage of of that uh, loyalty with, lo- with, with undercompensation. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Cool. What up? Any other updates for you? Yeah. The other thing I was going to mention, um, I kind of got, uh, yeah, you got something. Well, I, I realized that like one of my points here was I hate it's when, when saying no and letting people down. Oh yeah. 
uh, was like a really bad experience for me. Um, so, you know, I, I just want to say that like, I did my best at communicating like, Hey, like you were awesome. We just had an exceptional piece, but it still feels like it's not enough. Like, you know how it feels to get rejected. And I don't know, there's, is there any, do you have any advice on like how to tell someone I really liked you, but you, but it, what, but it wasn't good enough in a way that makes opens doors for future for the future? Or is it just sort of this thing that is just awkward and not fun? I think it's probably partially that there's a situation you you said where there's this one person who actually was special and they just didn't get it. And I think in that situation, you handle it one off. And we do this sometimes where we have a full-time spot open. It's one position and there's like two people that are basically neck and neck and you just have to pick one. And we do always reach out to the other person and be like, you know, can we, can I buy you coffee every six months? I just want to stay in touch. Like, I want to be clear, you weren't rejected. It's that someone else was accepted. That's what happened. Um, And I do think you can make it more about, we offered it to someone else rather than we are not, like we are, you didn't get it, you know? I know it's just a language thing. For everyone else though, I'm just very transactional. I I should say, I don't send them out. Uh, Emily on our team does, but I think as long as you treat people with respect and you follow up and you're open, like most companies don't even send rejections. They just ghost you. Um, I think if if you're just like, thanks for applying. Sorry, we went with someone else, but it was really great getting to know you. I I don't think it's going to be devastating for most people. That's part of applying for jobs. But it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good, but like, I don't know. I wouldn't trip over myself probably like worrying about it. I know it's hard to say, don't worry about it. It's the ones that I've struggled with are the ones where it's like, I really do want to hire you. Like if I had another $70,000 a year in budget right now, you'd have a job, but it just, we had to choose between two people. Well, there's, there's a couple more people like that, that I'm struggling with. And I, I guess what I, what I do, what I can do is go out of my way to say, listen, you were not rejected. It's just that another person was accepted. And I really do. I, I, I can follow up my email and say, I really mean, like, let's stay in touch. And, you know, I, I'm interested in developing a relationship with you. Yeah. Another nice, A, it's actually a nice thing, but it's also a nice deflection tactic is just try to offer some value right away. So for example, I've got a friend who's got this, who's their startups hiring interns right now. I don't know if you'll be a good fit or not, but you want, you want an intro, right? Just something to be like, I'm, I'm not leaving you hanging here. Yep. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it's tough. So the next thing on my list was I kind of got pulled into this project this week that I didn't expect to, uh, because it just like fascinated me. Um, one of the things that two of the interns this summer are working on is building out our API. Um, so for any listener who doesn't know what an API is application programmer interface, it's basically a way two programs can talk to each other. Uh, so it's it's not our our user interface is how our users interact with our software. Our API is how other pieces of software interact with us. So if someone wants to send leads to us or something like that, so we have an API for customers that's really bad. The logic was always like, no one's going to really want to build on our platform. Like we're not really a platform the way something like Salesforce is. But over the years, I mean, we have twenty two thousand users at this point. It's probably enough that. I'm not saying big software companies are going to start building integrations with us, but we might be a good target for if you're a smaller SaaS company and you want to 
build an integration with the CRM, but like sort of be unique in that we don't already have this massive platform with a lot of other integrations, I think we might be a good target. So we're taking a little bit of a gamble here and we're building from scratch a brand new API. We're calling it API 2. That's like, we're putting a lot of effort into it. We're going to make it really, really good. Like a great developer experience, really a lot of documentation and stuff like that. So I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm starting to like fantasize about a world where we're actually a, a good platform for other companies to integrate with. Or would you could you see them building an app around serving your customers? Oh yeah, that too. I guess where it's like it's not a separate SaaS company that wants to integrate. It's we do reporting for less annoying CRM or something like that. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, it's yeah, it's we're probably not like a great target in the sense that our customers pay a pretty small amount. And I think there's kind of a rule in uh, building add-ons to something that you you normally, if you're charging more than the actual product, it's hard to get customers. My understanding is Shopify suffered from this a little bit where Shopify is so cheap, all of the people building apps for Shopify that charge more than Shopify struggle because like the customer's like, I'm not going to pay you more for an add-on to Shopify than what I actually pay for the core product. But um I could see that working. So anyway, a part of me is like, this is a stupid thing to invest time in. But another part of me is like, this could be big. The the company that comes to mind that's similar to you is Help Scout. They are, they are I feel they have the same feel. They're much further along, I would say, than less knowing CRM in terms of growth and customer base. But I think the way they, they have pretty strong values around how they build their business. I believe that they are bootstrapped. They mm-hmm. are customer service first. But the way that they've done their integrations isn't this like free for all. It's highly like they've they've partnered with a select few people that solve the problem well, and maybe a couple, uh, maybe one, two, or three sort of options per use case, and very easy to integrate. I've found them really useful. Um, but you might want to just like set up a free trial with Help Scout and look around how they approach their integrations. Yeah. I mean, do you know, are, are their integrations all made by Help Scout or are these third-party integrations that they list on their site? They're, they're, they list them as third-party integrations, but my, my gut tells me that they've worked with the other application behind the scenes mm. to make it work. W- one perfect example of this is um, I added text support for Leg Up Health and Help Scout's my customer service platform. But I use the, uh, I love, I like, I want to stay in Help Scout for all the ticket or conversations that I'm having. I think that's what they call them conversations, not tickets. When someone texts, I, I don't want to go into another application to yeah. see that. So they have integrations with two different text providers or phone texting service providers. And I actually pay more for the texting service than I do Help Scout. Um, and but but it's great because you know I I can send a text and I can receive a text from Help Scout, and it from the customer's perspective, it's the same. It's it works perfectly from my perspective. It's the same workflow. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll check it out. Um, one of the decisions I'm going to have to make this is kind of a, this is a really great intern project because you can break it down into lots of little pieces, which is a good characteristic for them. One decision we're going to have to make is when the summer's over and the interns leave, there we will have a launchable API, but I'd say only half of our wish list will be checked off at that point. 
Um, do we keep investing it in it after that point? And I'm leaning towards yes, but that's I'm getting more and more serious about that. Uh, as I as we get deeper into the project, I'm like, maybe this is a dud and whatever. But we we invest six months building a new integration. If if one person builds an integration with us that works well, that's like as valuable as six months as as that's more than the amount of time it will take us to build the rest of the API out. You know. What you might um, do if you're serious about this is identify a couple of use cases within the workflow that would be ideal integration partner, like ideally solved by an integration partner, and then actually reach out to some brands that share sort of your your values and see if you can't entice someone to take a take a chance. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Okay. Yeah, I'll check that out. And then my, I also, from my, my understanding is there's all kinds of marketing opportunities there where if you integrate with MailChimp, like whatever, there's a million of everything integrated with MailChimp. But if you integrate, like if Lessening Serum integrates with another, you know, seven figure SaaS company, we promote each other and like we get 5% of their customers, they get 5% of our customers and everybody really wins. Yes, totally. Yeah. Especially okay, if you I'll choose the right that partners that, that aren't that aren't going to like... You can't, you have to, but you have really solid positioning and brand. What, what you have very cl- good clarity on what you are not. So yeah. you can't, you have constraints on who you can go partner with. They can't be price gougers. They can't be, be uh, let's just call it, they probably can't be too heavily venture funded. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, cool. So yeah, that was I my a, kind of last rant. update. Uh, yeah, go for it. Okay. So this is my first year paying corporate taxes for leg up ventures. I had a decent amount of income last year from consulting. And so, yeah, I had to pay taxes even after paying myself and, you know, investing in a few startups. I got a letter from the IRS dated June 1st. It somehow magically appeared in my inbox 21 days later, but the notice was dated June 1st. So... It said, hey, respond within two days of, of like when I received it or else basically saying they didn't receive the payment for the federal taxes. So I talked talk to my CPA. I'm like, he's like, listen, this is not normal. Uh, either you can call the number or we can handle it for you. Here's how much it's going to cost. And I was like, okay, I'm going to save myself some money. And plus, I don't even know what that's worth. So I need to go through this to see what it's like. Dude, I dialed the number. It said, you know, when I when I got through, it said 30 minutes or so and you'll be with someone. An hour and a half later, I'm still on hold. And finally, this lady picks up and asked me like 30 questions, it felt like, to verify my information. And, and she was like, so what notice did you get? And I said, this notice. She said, well, you're paid in full. That notice was sitting there. God. That sucks. And I just wanted, and I, she was really nice. And she was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Very empathetic. But it's like, you'd think that revenue collection would be a priority for the United States of America. Yeah. Although I think the IRS has been uh, defunded somewhat lately, but yeah, it's, it's incredible how many, how often they get it wrong. And I've actually had much worse experiences with state uh, tax collection than federal, but the number of notices in error where, yeah, the state of like 
fucking, I don't know, Oregon or Washington, some Pacific Northwest state that we have nothing to do with at one point mailed us and was like, you owe us these taxes. And we're like, we, we have no employees there. We've, we have no physical presence there. What are you talking about? And then every time we pay our accountants $1,000 and they make it go away. It's never real. We never, ever, ever pay these states these, these taxes. But it's a the tax that we pay is to our accountants to make it go away. Yeah. And next time I'll just pay the $300 and not go through the pain and suffering of an hour and a half on hold because now I appreciate what the CPA does. Yeah. But that is such waste, you know, within the government. I'd rather pay the government $300 and have them spend it on Medicare or like roads, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I, <laughs> I there. Yeah. I feel like there should be a penalty that the government pays you for doing this in error. Not a, not a significant one because I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't dislike giving money to the government. I take pride in paying taxes, but the problem is there's no incentive for them not to do this. It doesn't hurt them at all to send these things out. And and I bet, you know, in the early days, I bet we paid some of these because I bet we didn't know any better. And it's it's just like spray and pray, like, let's send out a million notices and see who pays it. And if anyone fights back, we'll be like, oh, sorry, never mind. <laughs> yeah. And like, why not have just a login for me to go check and pay it online and confirm it? Like, how hard would that be to create? Um this well, kind of makes hard, me. I think is the answer. <laughs> well, I'm working. I'm working on an article, and this kind of relates uh, on privilege. I'm trying to like solidify what priv- like privilege is uh, for for uh, people like me. And you know, the phrase that comes to mind is the. You know, I think privileged people rarely feel the kind of angry that has nowhere to go. Like mm-hmm. you know, when when you are discriminated against or you experience a lack of privilege, you often have moments, I, I, I believe, of what it's like to deal with the IRS in everyday life. And I like, I think that's the closest I can get to living, like dealing with the IRS and like being totally abused with my time and having nothing, I can do nothing about it. It's probably what it's like to be black and be discriminated against in some certain situations. And yeah, it's probably a mi- very, very mild version of it. I mean, totally. it's different it's from your life thing. being threatened. It's the closest <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, and you know, it's, uh, but imagine feeling like that every day to a much larger degree that's, you know, not having to deal with that as privilege. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that sucks. Well, uh, the, the only other, the only other that. area of like the kind of anger that has nowhere to go is utility companies. And you've solved that problem, apparently. Well, yeah, internet specifically. I'm fine with my gas and electric companies, but yeah. (laughs) Um, Cool. You've had this uh, branding thing on the list for a couple of weeks. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So as far as new topics go, this has been on here a while. So I would call this topic branding and logo design. And I'm constantly questioning how much to worry about this right now. I've got a decent look and feel at legapelt.com. Uh, I want to be very clear. My definition of branding is much broader than what something looks like and what something feels like. Um, most important question for a brand, in my opinion, is why it exists. Like, what's its reason for being? The second most important thing is, you know, ha- what does it stand for? What are the behavioral values that 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 
make it who it you know who the, the thing that it is uh, or more moral. Um, the third is what does it do? Like what does the brand actually do for the world? And the third is how to do it, which gets into strategy, um, the unique way of delivering what what you do. Within that, how you do it is a logo and the colors and the typography. I have I'm working on the first you know three questions: why we exist, how we how we behave, and what we do. And I'm making good progress on that. But I'm I'm sort of wondering you know at this stage a couple you know a couple a dozen clients going to fifty clients. How much energy should I put into a logo? colors, topography, that sort of thing. Without more context, my instinct is none. But like, why are you, is is there a problem you'd be solving by investing more in that, do you think? There's two things that that I think could be of value as it relates to, to a, the customer word of mouth and referral strategy. One is swag, provide, you know, giving anyone who becomes a client of Leg Up Health or a user of Leg Up Health, a T-shirt that is cool. Um, another, you know, example would be we're, we're starting to work on some pretty um, interesting content marketing assets uh, with the explainer video, with the course, and then potentially another project for this uh, unique individual we talked about. And I want, you know, it, it, it would be a shame to put a lot of effort into the core content. And then not have solid packaging around it, and have that be a reason mm-hmm. that people, you know, didn't uh, value it as much. So those are really the two drivers: content marketing and swag. So I've never done this before, but I've heard other people who have. Where, like, w- one option is build core competency internally. Wh- whether it's an, an employee who can do this, or like, you know, I think you did this at PeopleKeep, where you hired a consultant, an, an agency to put together this whole brand package, you know, here are our colors, here's our logo, this and that. I think for like $50, you can go on Fiverr or one of those websites and be like, I need a, I need a t-shirt, come up with the slogan, come up with the design, make it look good. And for $50, you've got it. This to me feels like the type of thing where like Bigger companies, when they say brand and and kind of your definition of brand, it it all needs to be unified, which I don't think is true if it's a T-shirt or a content piece. So I would almost treat those as like it's an individual part of the pro- that project rather than it's like a company branding exercise. What about a logo? Would you say that the would you would you think that a you 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 are unique in that you can design your own logos and you would just throw something together that's good enough? I've attempted to do that and it's basically text. <laughs> so, you know, I, I guess, uh, should, should, how important is it to have a consistent logo throughout at this stage, um, on the website, on the app, on, on the e-marketing emails, you know, on the content assets? I probably have a different opinion on this than a lot of people, but I think that the world has too many designers and I, I think design's very, very important in the right context, but you, you know, every company, do you see Goldman Sachs just put out their own font this week and they have no, like a website not. advertising it and it's like the ligatures are perfect for conveying trust with your customers. Like, shut the fuck up. It's a font. Every font is the, there's serif and there's sans serif and there's nothing else and it doesn't matter. Customers don't care. So I think if you're making a t-shirt that someone's going to wear, making it look nice is important because 
it's now a part of their fashion. If someone's going to your website to get advice for health insurance and you're, you don't have a logo, it's just like text at the top left. I think that there is a 0.000% improvement by putting a nice logo there. I just don't think it matters at all, personally. That's helpful. If you're so, if you're Nike, ha, that's not true. But have you looked Nike. at my logo? I just pulled your website up. It's just text, is it good right? enough? Yeah, I think it's good enough. Go to legupheltcom forward slash style dash guide. Style dash guide. Oh, you've actually got a style guide. Yeah. I put this Man, together. you're ahead of me on this. <laughs> yeah, I put that together. So I figure like, here, based on this conversation, what I probably should, what I kind of want to do is I want to go to Fiverr and do two things. I want to throw something up there for a logo and just see what I get. If it's, if it's, if, if I can find something slightly better than what I have now. Um, and then, you know, once I have that, then put one up for a t-shirt. I like that. Mm-hmm. And that's probably all I need to do right now. And then just use yeah, that I style so. guide that I just showed you as sort of a constraint along with answers to the questions that, you know, why we exist, how we behave, what we do. Yeah. And just to put this in perspective, like, again, a lot of people would disagree with me about, I'm downplaying the importance here, but less knowing CRM is 10 years old. We have 2.7 million ARR. We're not like, not, you know, we're, we're a legit company. If you go around, you'll see a different shade of blue like probably three or four different shades of blue. And I'm not even sure which one our main color is. And it doesn't fucking matter. Like our customers are not getting upset because they don't know what our main blue color is, you know? I think there's something to be said for being pr- like proud and not embarrassed of something. I would say that leg- the Leg Up Health logo, I'm a little embarrassed of it right now. And that's probably a good enough reason to try to get something slightly better. Um, I actually like it. I think it looks pretty professional, but... I mean, it's are just bold text. It's just bold text, but it it's clean. I mean, there are a lot of big brands. They would pay someone a hundred thousand dollars to do this, and they'd be like, "The you know, the kerning on the text is perfect." But yours looks like probably the kerning's not perfect. But I have a design background, and I can't tell. There's no way your customers can tell whether the kerning's good on that text. I don't know. In, when I lived in San Francisco, I knew a bunch of designers who, you know, were working at places like Twitter and Facebook and Google, like best of the best. And the things they spent their time thinking about, they were just complete, complete wastes of time. Um, so I, sorry, I'm like, you know, ranting so much about this, but you should care about design to a point. Your company is not going to be made or like broken by the typography on your logo, I don't think. No, I like it. That was helpful. I, I think I got what I need. And uh, I'm not talking about, te- I want to be very clear. I totally agree with you on the typography thing. I just think that there, there there's an emotional connection, a, a, sort of a pride thing that you can have with a logo. I have it with Startup to Last where I'm not embarrassed if someone sees the Startup to Last logo. That's because you designed it, not me. Um, I think getting to that minimal, like, hey, I'm not embarrassed by this is probably is worth putting a couple hundred, you know, 50 bucks into improving if you're not a designer. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I agree. And it is certainly true. When people go to a, a homepage of a website, before they've read a single word of text, they've already formed an opinion on, is this company capable of hiring a professional designer? And if not, what does that say about the company? But I guess the the difference is, so if you went out and tried to make a complex logo and it looks like shit, that would reflect really poorly on your brand. But if it's just, this is bold text that says like up health, I'm just assuming... They like the understated approach. 
as far as I know, they hired a professional designer to do this. Who knows? So it's the same way I, I pick my clothes. I don't want to look bad enough that people notice me, but I'm also not trying to look good enough that people notice me, right? I use this, I was trying to explain this to one of the interns this week. It's like, what is brand to me? Brand is what is inside you as a person. It's not the clothes that you wear. Mm. Yeah. and But for some companies it is. It's just what you're doing, what I'm doing. It's not us. That's not that's not health insurance, and it's not CRM. Yep. It's it's not Rick. It's not Tyler. Well, I don't in, think you, in, you would build a company. Too. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. But if if you were targeting Instagram influencers, probably at that point you'd you'd be like, well, yeah, maybe you should put a little more effort into this. That's probably based on what's inside, though. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, I I'm interested. Have you uh, taken a look at the Hey email? client that Basecamp put out? And that's not a client. It's a whole email service. Um, I I have. I looked through the demo and stuff. I quickly realized that I I have something. That, so I've told you this before. I'm, I'm not dissatisfied with my Gmail. Like, could it be better? Great. I'm, I practice zero inbox. I've got a good system that works between, you know, Gmail, uh, Google Apps, you know, a, a, a to-do list, via Google Docs. And I cannot afford right now with all that I have going on to play around with a new workflow. Um, I looked at it. I was like, hmm, some of these things would be useful. Like they would help me. Uh, but it be I'd much rather Gmail just copycat them, the few features personally, and let me like have that add-on and not have to switch my workflow. And I can wait a couple of years for that. See, I have a a budget for myself. I mean, maybe not like a actual set budget, but I try to give myself leeway to maybe once or twice a year upend my my what I'm like my habits, I guess, and try something new. And there's two reasons for that. One is uh I think as we get older, we tend to like calcify around what we know and you sort of just like I your Gmail flow is fine right now. If you're still doing it in 2040, uh that's when you hire a new employee and they're like, I cannot believe I work at a company that uses fucking Gmail. Like I, I do, I don't want to turn into that, but then also it's our job to design software. And I think even if you don't end up using it, you have to give it a shot. I'm not saying you have to give Hey a shot specifically, but I try to, even if I'm disinterested in something, if it's important and it's getting attention, I'm like, I want to know about it. But anyway, I didn't like it. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I like what was like in a nutshell, like what were the what was the primary problem that you had with it? I think it uh, doesn't. It may solve what some people's problem with email is, but it doesn't for me. Like it's trying all these email tools. Uh, Google Inbox was kind of like this. A lot of newer e- email tools are trying to make it not an inbox. And Slack, Slack is like this, right? Like the whole thing about Slack is there's no inbox. That's the opposite of what I want. I want them to lean in more. To The only reason anyone uses email is because the inbox is the only way to stay organized when you have a thousand emails coming in. Everyone's talking about it. Like the problem with email is that there are those thousand emails. It's like, no, if you switch to Slack or you switch to Hey, you're still going to have a thousand things coming in. Your problem isn't email. Your problem is that you are too disorganized to organize to, to, to stay on top of all your communication. Getting rid of an inbox is not going to change that. And so Hey just makes it so you can basically ignore everything. And I'm like, I don't want to. I'm actually on top of my shit. <laughs> I want to be able to organize my email and it doesn't let you. 
I'm totally with you. I'm orga- I'm organized, and so I don't want like to ignore people. That's not what I. <laughs> but there are some like there were a couple of features that I thought were really cool. One was um, like there's no way for me to block someone on Gmail. Like I get these. I, I get there spam from this hey flower stuff. Yeah, but I still block them and it still goes to spam. Like it still shows up in my spam and I go through my spam and clean it out oh, regularly. Okay. So if you find, if you've got something that that makes it so that the people who are constantly in my spam folder, when I block them, they stop I stop getting anything from them, I'd love I'd love to check that feature out. Well, I just don't check spam, but you could set up a filter if you wanted to delete it instead of mark it as spam. That's a bit more work. It, yeah. Certainly, hey, hey streamlines that really well, which yeah. I do like about hey. Yeah, that's the one thing. I use I Superhuman, like, and they make it really easy. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's that's all I had to say. It's just I saw a couple of things where I was like, man, I like that, but it's not worth switching and upending my stuff. I don't have that big of a problem. Yeah, yeah they had a couple other things I really liked. I like the idea. You can like mark things as reply later, which overall I don't like how they handled it, but one really nice feature is then you can say, I'm going to go through all of them and on one screen, I'm just going to like reply, 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 reply. It like lists them all in order, which I think is pretty cool. Um, they so let you, you take you, notes. So you so you queue up a bunch of things to reply to, basically? Yeah, because I, I think most people have the same problem I do, which is you've got, you know, you come in in the morning, you've got 30 emails in your inbox. Five of them you can just archive, you can ignore, like this is junk. Two of them you're like, I this is deeper. I, I need to spend time on this some other time. But a bunch of them is just like I need to reply. Like, yep, we're still on for today. Uh, some an employee emails you a question. You're like, actually, do it. Like, the, the the correct answer is this thing or whatever. And it's like each one takes a minute to respond to. But I spend three minutes figuring out which one to do next. And I think just being able to run through them really quickly would help. But uh, it wasn't worth all the other stuff. So anyway, I think there's some really interesting ideas with Hey. I hope it works, but uh, it's, it's not for me. I don't know. The, the other thing, like the, the major problem for me switching right now is like, I don't need another email address. I've got five already and I can't use it to manage my existing email addresses. I have to create a new email address. That was just a non-starter for me right away. And I know eventually they'll probably let you, you know, do your own domain, you know, like manage, yeah. your other, manage like a, but that's it's still like, that's a huge roadblock for me. You're right. Although at the same time, like I want email to be, disruptable and a lot of the arguments against hey are basically saying nothing can ever change my email habits and then it's like well great the most important technology we all use is completely stuck um so i was willing to switch my email address when i started using it i i I even set up gmail my current gmail address forwarding into hey i i went and changed my logins to a bunch of stuff i was ready to to switch to tyler king at hey.com as my email address but then I started using it and I was just like, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to miss crucial emails. I'm going to miss emails. Like I have to pay something and I, you know, I just can't risk that. <laughs> yep. Well, be interesting to see what happens. Um, I've enjoyed yeah. them going after Apple in the most annoying way they could possibly go after Apple. Uh, just because I, I, I support people to do like being assholes to assholes. So I love bullying oh, bullies. Basecamp's amazing love, at that. Yeah, bullying bullies is like one of my favorite things in life. Uh, so the fact that they're doing that right now, I it's it's annoying to me to see it everywhere. But at the same time, I I got to give them a, a pat on the back for it. <laughs> 
Yeah. And for anyone who's not following this, what happened is, hey, is an email program launched with an uh, iPhone app. They tried to push an update to the iPhone app to the App Store and Apple blocked it saying, if you want to distribute through the App Store, you have to use our payment system and give us 30% of the revenue. Um, And I don't think some people are accusing Hey of planning this, of being like, we are going to get Apple to block us and then use that to create a PR stunt. I don't think they planned it, but as soon as it happened, they were like, great, we're going to turn this into a huge controversy. And now like they were on CNBC, like New York Times wrote about this. They, they're getting all this publicity because they're picking a fight with Apple, which is I think both obnoxious and wonderful. I think they totally anticipated this and were prepared for it. And whether you want to call that planning for it or not, this was something that they were ready to pounce on when it came. Um, it was not something that th- that was like, oh, wow, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect well, Apple no. to apply their policies to us. Like, I, I don't think that's what happened, though. Apple, Basecamp, the company, their main product is Basecamp. They have an iPhone app that does exactly what Hey did, and Apple allows that. I don't think it was at all obvious that th- Apple was going to change the policy how they apply the policy for their email program. The, the argument was Apple thought their email program was a consumer app rather than a business app, which it's, I mean, who who could say, I guess? I don't know. But you may be right, but it seems reasonable to me that they would be thinking, we already have an app in the app store that does this. We don't pay do payments through Apple. Like, why would we do payments through Apple with this new app? These guys are smarter than that. I guess, but what, what sign was there that it would be different this time? I don't know. Anyway, I, you maybe the guy right, was the guy was literally testifying for Congress recently before this all went down about antitrust issues with Apple. Like that's true. That's true. <laughs> they love to pick a fight. Uh, maybe there is a marketing lesson to learn there. Uh, well, I think it's right. great. It's just it's exhausting. You, you got to be willing to like play the game. It's and the outrage I, engine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> cool. What else do you have? Um, I think that's it for this week. I'll talk about this other stuff uh, some other time. Cool. Well, uh, it was good talking to you this week. Anything else you want to talk about? Nope, I'm all good. All right. And I just want to apologize if if the audio quality is bad. I'm at the lake, uh, which is really nice, but the service is terrible. And I forgot my normal microphone. So I've got this this rig here that we're about to find out how good it is. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Um, All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. I'll see you next week, Tyler. See you.